Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. So I got a $20 bill, y'all, right here. And uh, on this $20 bill, it has a phrase. It says, in God we trust. Have you ever seen that? And uh, you might think that this is always here, but this didn't actually get on the bill until the 1950s. Uh, a bunch of people thought, ah, in contrast to the godless communist nations of the world, we need to pass a bill that puts in God we trust in all U.S. currency. And so they passed it, and it's on here. It's on coins. It's on dollars. But about two or three years ago, a number of people said, you know, I don't think that really represents me. I'm an atheist and I live in this nation. I don't really believe in God. I don't really want this on the bill. And so they put a legislation through and said, we're going to remove this. Well, in 2019, the Supreme Court, they did not pass that legislation. They said, we're going to keep in God we trust on the money. But I want to be honest. I think that legislation passed in the hearts of our society many, many years ago. Because if we're truly honest, if we want to be accurate, I would say what's more true is in money we trust as a society. Money is where we find our hope, our security. It's how we plan our future. If only I can get enough money, then I can have the future that I'm supposed to have. And we trust in money. I think this is why Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Timothy 6, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So he says, trust in God. Don't put your trust in money. And he says, teach this to all those who are rich in this world. And you're like, oh, good. I'm not rich. This doesn't apply to me. Well, hold on. If you make more than $25,000 in a year, you are in the top 10% of all income earners of the world. If you make more than $50,000 in a year, you are in the top 1% of all of the 8 billion people on earth. So the good news today is if you're living in King County, you're probably rich. The bad news is the Bible has a lot to say to all of us. <laughs> and so I want to talk about that a little bit today. And uh, if you're like Pastor Bridipin, I don't feel very rich. I kind of disagree with you. Please send me an email from your iPhone and we can meet up over some $8 coffees. And we can talk about whether we're rich or not. Amen. I mean, I was even so moved by your words, Pastor. You said coming to America for me was like heaven on earth. Just the contrast. I think that's kind of a reality check for some of us. And uh, this is a reality that we need to come to grips with. We are wealthy and the scripture has a lot to say to us. And so when it comes to our lives, though, what is more accurate? In God we trust or in money we trust? This is a question I had to ask myself very early on in my marriage to Pastor Amritha. We're getting married. We get married. We have jobs. We are pretty uh, financially stable because we're dinks at this time. What is a dink? 
dual income, no kids. And so we have two streams of income. We're not spending bills. We are living a great life. If you are in that season of life, live it up while you can. <laughs> and so we're living that life. And so we're freshly married. And then she says something pretty horrible to me. She says, Pradeep, and I want to quit my high-paying job and follow God's call in my life and work in the ministry. I'm like, what? I'm already a pastor. We need your money. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and so she says, I feel the call of God in my life to start working in Cambodia, Thailand, Burma, help women who are being uh, just in the throes of sex trafficking. I want to help them get jobs so that they don't have to sell their daughters across the border. We can give it education. We can start church plants. I feel the Lord stirring this in my heart. And as a man of God, I say, absolutely not. I need your money. Like, we just got married. This is not financially practical. What about our future? You cannot follow the call of God on your life. No way. And so I realized, man, maybe I'm trusting in finances more than I'm trusting in God. And she said, not only will I lose my job and I have to fundraise my own king income, uh, I'm going to be gone from you one out of every four days in our first year of marriage. It's like, are you serious? I want to do stuff on those days. Like, we just got married. And she said, I will also be living on... Uh, I'll be li- or working in an area that's known for being filled with landmines. So I could step on a landmine and like blow off my leg or something like that. In fact, it's happened before to people here. That's why I want to do ministry there to provide some, you know, good systems that will help for human flourishing in this situation. I'm like, this is really dangerous. This is really practical. I, can I pray about it? She says, okay, I'll let you pray. So while I'm praying, I actually call her dad. I was like, what is going on with your daughter? Like, is this okay? And he said, well, what did you expect? You said you wanted to marry a girl who was called to the ministry before she even met you. Well, guess what? This is what her call to the ministry looks like. So you better support my daughter. I was like, "Ah, come on, dad. So so I go up to Amrita and I said, all right, I prayed about it. Talk to your dad. And uh, this is the conclusion This is what it seems good to the Holy Spirit in us. I will be your ministry sugar daddy. I will do this for the sake of the kingdom. And so here here we are now. (laughs) But the reality of that story is I had to make a decision. Was I going to choose what was financially practical or what the Lord was calling us to do? And I think that is a, a question we all have to ask ourselves. It's a tough question, but it's a very real question. Will I choose to trust God or will I choose to trust money? In our society, especially in a capitalistic American culture, the, the pursuit and the security that money offers us is just ingrained into us. We are taught that worth and success looks like wealth. It's how we measure our human flourishing, GDP. How is our economy doing? How are our stocks doing? That's how we know the people are doing well. What's the unemployment rate? What's the job rate? And that's how we measure our human flourishing. And so like when we're sick, we wish I had more money to afford better doctors. When we're lonely, we wish we had more money so we could do more social outings and didn't have to work as much so we could actually have a social life. It's like, I wish I could have kids, but I don't have enough money. I wish I could get married, but I don't have enough money. It's like money is wired into our human fabric as a society. We need money to have a good life. And this is uh, the fruit of being in this society. 
Mike Tyson wrote a quote that is pretty powerful. I don't recommend getting all your theological advice from Mike Tyson, but he has a lot of good one-liners. And this, I think, is a good indictment of our society of whether we trust in money or trust in God. He wrote, money is my God. If you think God will help you, then quit your job and see how much he cares. And I, I think this is pretty accurate how we think, you know, Pastor Ramitha, quitting your job, that's not practical. How are you going to pay for food? How are you going to pay for rent? How are you going to pay the bills? It's just not practical. And we, being in the top 10% wealthiest people on earth, we still don't even feel financially secure, do we? If only I had a little bit more money. If only I had this product. I mean, did anybody notice how quickly we went from Thanksgiving, oh, I'm so grateful for everything that I have, to, oh my gosh, I need that. It's Black Friday. I am not thankful anymore. I need that. I mean, it's just wired into us. You know, in the book of Mark in the scriptures, there's a scripture about a man I can relate to. He runs to Jesus, and he falls on his knees before Jesus, and he says, I just I have to ask you a question. I know you have eternal life. I know you have wisdom. I know you're a wise teacher. Would you please help me? And uh, Jesus answers his question, and then gives him some advice, and actually gives him an opportunity to come walk with Jesus, follow Jesus, but he, he doesn't do it because he loves money too much. Let's read about it in Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. But then Jesus answers his question. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus, I love this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Isn't this a powerful story? Jesus says, sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor. But the man walked away sad because he had many possessions. And this goes against what we're taught. We're taught the person who dies with the most toys or possessions wins. Get wealthy or die trying right? And this person is sad because he has many possessions. I mean, I feel like Marie Kondo could write a whole book about this. He was sad because he had possessions. And Jesus, he looks at him with love because he realizes not only does this person have possessions, the possessions have him. They have his heart. Here is his heart. He's running after Jesus. Jesus, I want to hear from you. He submitted to Jesus. He gets on his knees before him. My whole life belongs to you. I followed the commandments my whole life. But then Jesus kind of, he provides a gotcha moment. All right, you're saying you're following the Ten Commandments. But are you really? You know, you're listing these commandments. But the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods but the one true God. And look at this. You can't even give up your possessions to follow the Son of God. And so he goes away, walking away from Jesus. Man, if this was me, I would have wanted to follow Jesus so bad. I'd been like, this is my chance. 
I get to be the 13th apostle, Apostle Pradeepin. This is awesome. We got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Pradeepin, Jeeva Manor, and Siva Ratnam, baby. But he walks away sad. His face fell sad. You know, I don't even like this translation. The word sad here is actually the, the Greek word that would mean more grief or sorrow or grieving, even a physical pain. In fact, it's the same word that the authors used to describe Jesus right before he was about to die on the cross for the sins of humanity, but he was questioning. Jesus is questioning, God, do I really want to die to save all of humanity? Is this really practical? In fact, in his intimate prayer life before dying, Jesus says, if there's any other way, can you make it happen? And Jesus is praying this real vulnerable prayer. And it says he was grieved about the prospect of death to the point where he was so stressed that his body began to sweat blood. I mean, that is the same word they're using for this rich young ruler, that kind of grief. In fact, Jesus, when he was praying about dying on the cross, wondering if this was practical, wondering if there's any other way out of this, this all happened in a place called, called the Garden of Gethsemane, which was known for pressing olives so that oil could be produced from the olives. And only through the pressing, that beautiful aroma, that beautiful oil, that substance was released. And it was like Jesus was being pressed, and he was wrestling, and he was struggling. And out of that struggle, oh, beautiful phrase, oh, Lord, not my will be done, but yours alone. But the sad part of it is that when this rich young ruler who on the outside looked like he had all together, he was following all the commandments, he's running after Jesus, he's kneeling before Jesus, when he was pressed with the question, will you give up your possessions to follow Jesus, it wasn't a beautiful aroma that came out. It was, ah, oh, I serve money. Money is my God. I can't give up my possessions because my possessions have me. And this is the, the tragic story of this scripture. And I think it's why Jesus talks about money so much in the scriptures. Whenever we talk about money at Kalos Church, I hear this voice in the back of my head, oh, preacher, just preach about Jesus. Don't talk about money and just another money-hungry preacher. But the fact is Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell and prayer combined. He talks about money a lot. And I think it's because Jesus sees something here and he wants something from us. And point number one is this. I believe that Jesus doesn't need to get your money, but he doesn't want your money to get you. Like what happened with the rich young ruler. I mean, Jesus talks about money quite a bit in the scriptures. Like, he, he says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So whatever you financially invest in, your heart is going to follow that. How do I know that's true? It's because I've seen Taylor Swift fans these last two weeks. Man, I've seen millions of people saying, I want to give my money to Ticketmaster. But it won't take my money. And my heart is grieved to the point of death. T-Swift, take my money. Ticketmaster, let me. Anybody a Taylor Swift fan in the house of God today? And I'm not, I'm not trying to judge you. I wish I had a ticket myself. 
but you can tell what people are passionate about. They want to give their money desperately, and they're like trying to overcome the devil of Ticketmaster to get to Taylor Swift. It's like, what's her tour called? The Era Tour? Era. Er eras? But when people go to the Ticketmaster website, all they see is eras. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's bad, man. It, it, it. Uh, any, who's the Taylor Swift fan here? Have I lost all of you? Well, oh, wow. That's a tough crowd. All right, tough, all right Melissa, I see you. I see you, Melissa. All right. Well, here, here's some tweets I saw from these fans who are so invested in this. Eight billion people in the world, and every single one of them is ahead of me in the Taylor Swift Ticketmaster queue, apparently. See, 1.2 million plus people try to buy a ticket for her tour all at the same time and it crashed their system. And so people are, have been waiting like one, what is it? One hour, two hours, like nine hours? Four to eight hours, just, just to pay money to get these tickets, and they haven't been able to. And the scalpers who have gotten these tickets are starting to resell them to up to $30,000. The people are like, that's a reasonable price. That's reasonable. It's Taylor Swift. Of course, I'm going to pay that. Someone else wrote, you know that anxiety you have before a job interview? Yeah, that's how I feel right now. Uh, except it's not for a job interview. It's Ticketmaster confirming if I'm a verified fan or not. Because they'll only sell tickets to verified fans. And uh, here's one. I can't believe all those years I spent trying to convince other people to like Taylor Swift have come back to haunt me like this. <laughs> so it's just, it's just proof that you, your heart follows what you invest in. And people are invested in Taylor Swift, and they're willing to give up money for it. They're willing to give up time for it. And like, if you invest in something like me, like Bitcoin, oh man, Bitcoin, RIP. You invest in Bitcoin, you start to follow the trends of Bitcoin. Is it a good day? Is it a bad day? Because my heart followed where I invested my treasure in. And so uh, Jesus even says some things a little bit more on that seems almost spiritually manipulative. It's pretty intense. He says, uh, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So God says, you got to make a choice. Jesus says, you can't serve both God and, and money. And when I think about that, I ask myself, is there 1% of me serving money? Uh, is there 2%? Because I, I look at my job, how I work, I'm worried about bills, I'm worried about my financial future, how I've been taught to find security and finances to be reasonable, to be practical. I've, I have to question, am I serving God or money? Because Jesus doesn't give me the option of serving both. This is kind of a convicting scripture. Don't get mad at me. These are the words of Jesus. And so we, we have to talk about money because Jesus talks about money. And here's the reality today. Money, I, I don't believe money is inherently evil. I believe that money is a wonderful tool. We can use money to serve God. Money is a wonderful tool, but it is a horrible master. And we, we give our devotion to money as God. It can never... Take the place of God. It's going to lead us to hurt and abuse and walk all over people. It's going to cause us to deform people. You know, sex traffickers make money off of sex trafficking. They're not just doing it for the thrill of it. It's because money compels us to do things that dehumanize others. And it's a bad reality. Money can never truly take the place of God, and God is a good God. Money is not a good God. Can I get a better amen? But money in itself is not evil. So just to bring some 
clarity. Because a lot of people have taught us, especially in the prosperity gospel, that if you're wealthy, that means you're a spiritually good person. Some of us have been taught if you're poor, that means you're a spiritually good person. I don't agree with either of those. I wrote it like this. Neither poverty nor prosperity make you godly. But making the decision to give up money for Jesus kills the temptation to give Jesus up for money like the rich young ruler. And so that's why we talk about this, this idea of, I want to serve God with all of my heart. Anybody with me? You're like, I'm sick of serving myself. I don't want to be a tool of capitalism and finances. I mean, these are great tools, but I don't want to devote my life to them. I want to devote my life to God, amen? And so this is what the truth of the gospel tells us. And when Amritha said, I want to give up my job to follow the ministry, that was a reality that hit me hard. I have to make the commitment. This may not look practical in the natural, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so second thing I want to share is this. Financial giving is a spiritual discipline. And uh, I just want to make sure that this is clear because we're your pastors. Now I would feel like I'm doing you an injustice if we never talk about this at Kalos Church. In the scriptures, before the law of Moses was written, people gave financially to worship the Lord. In the law of Moses, people gave financially to worship the Lord. In the time of Jesus, people gave financially to worship the Lord. After Jesus ascended to heaven and the church was birthed, people gave financially to worship the Lord. And so I believe that financial giving is a part of our spiritual discipline. Let me read a scripture that pastors always use when talking about money, and I'm going to use it today. Malachi 3. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Thanks, Lord. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. I like the scripture in contrast of the rich young ruler who said he was keeping the commands, and he walked away from Jesus. But now here's kind of a, an idea of returning to Jesus after you've walked away. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, in other words, the church, that there may be food in my house, the house of God. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much a blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so here in the Old Testament, we see the token scripture about bringing our tithes and our offerings. These are financial offerings to the Lord. So what is the tithe? Tithe literally means tenth. So it means giving the first 10% of your income to the local church. And then offering is giving above that 10%. So I believe that biblical generosity begins at 11% of your income because the first 10% already belongs to the God. And the scripture says, if you're not giving that to the Lord, it's robbing the Lord. And so we as the people of God are called to give 10% at least at a minimum to God. Uh, and I believe that tithing is a test of who we will thank first for all of our increase. Are we going to thank Amazon, Netflix, or are we going to thank God? Are we going to say, Lord, I worship you first and foremost. Money is not my God. You are my God. And uh, throughout the scriptures, 10 is this number of biblical testing. Like how many commandments are there? 10, right? And when Jesus heals all the lepers, but only one returns to give thanks, how many lepers are there? Right? When uh, God frees the people from Egypt, how many plagues does he send? All right. Uh, how many disciples did Jesus have? 
Thanks, you're listening. All right, good. Uh, but 10 is this number of testing throughout the scriptures. And I, I think it's the same thing. In the scripture, he says, test me in this. So God invites us to test him in the tithe, but it's also a test of where is our heart? Who do we pledge allegiance to? So you're looking at me and you're like, all right, that is only Old Testament. I would tithe if Jesus told me to tithe, tithe but I don't see it in the New Testament. I don't see it in the red letters of Jesus in the Bible. Not so fast. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus does tell us to tithe. What sorrow awaits, this is Jesus speaking. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, not those kind of herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. So he's saying tithing is not the whole thing. Don't neglect mercy. Like there's more important things. But then he does say this, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus says, you should tithe, yes. Okay, can we just say that all together? You should tithe, yes. All right, especially those who are hesitant. You should tithe. I mean, this, this is what Jesus is saying. All right, you're saying, all right, but Jesus brought in a new covenant. But the early church didn't tithe, so we don't have to tithe. Not so fast. Let's read from Hebrews 7. This is the early church bringing order to their gatherings. It says, here, they're talking about their services. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he, speaking of Jesus, receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. So they're still tithing even after Jesus dies and ascends to heaven. Here, mortal men receive tithes. And so I, I just think the whole narrative of scripture has this idea of tithing, and we think we're the only people group that will not Give 10%? No, I don't think that's true. And I think it's just a test of who are we going to think for the Lord. And if you're against the biblical idea of 10%, let me just challenge you with this. The early church gave 100% of their income to the church. And when one couple held back a portion, they died in a nice and Sapphira. So we're not that intense. <laughs> and a weird hush entered the crowd. <laughs> But tithing is beautiful. But I think we can have a lot of head knowledge, but it's hard to follow this. So point number three is understanding content is not a replacement for following a commandment. Did you know that out of all churchgoers in the United States, only about 5% participate in the biblical tithe? I mean, could you imagine how many people we could help if the whole of all churchgoers financially worshiped the Lord? Man, we could make such a big difference, but only 5%. So that, so that means only 5% of this room, if we represent all of America, are financially, regularly giving to the storehouse of the Lord. And that kind of grieves me. And I want to be the kind of pastor that helps us walk in this biblical truth. You know, a lot of times people come up to me and say, Pastor, I want to go deeper. And I, I love that heart. And when I was a little less mature in my pastoral journey, I'd say, oh, you want to go deeper? I'm so sorry. I've been trying to take you higher. Uh, Creed joke. Uh, sorry. Uh, and, uh, but uh, I would ask people these questions. All right. Okay, you want to go deep, uh, but how, how deep are you right now so I can help you on your journey? And then I'll, I'll ask basic questions like, uh, do you know the Ten Commandments? Yes. Do you know the books of the Bible? Yes. Do you have these scriptures memorized? Do you understand the theology of atonement? Do you, you know, I just kind of go through these things. And a lot of people would have head knowledge, be pretty good. But as soon as I got to like the following the commandments of Jesus, the vibe would shift. I'd be like, all right, well, 
Jesus says, uh, my disciples should make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Uh, when was the last time you, you were a witness and you shared your faith with someone? Oh, pastor, don't put that legalism on me. It's like, oh. <laughs> as soon as I get to the rubber on the road and I get practical, it seems like a burden of legalism. I'm like, all right, hey, uh, do you, all right, you want to go deeper? Do you mind if I look at your bank account and see how much you're giving to the local church? How much you're giving to the orphan and the widow? Oh, pastor, that's intrusive. You're, you're part of the 70s shepherding movement, and now you're being a spiritual abuser. I'm like, you asked me to go deeper with you. It's like, it's, people are fine with getting content. And so now I've learned most of the time when people say, pastor, I want to go deeper, they don't mean help me become a disciple. They, they mean entertain me with confusing Greek content. <laughs> it's right. It's like when I start talking about how do you treat your wife? You know, let me see your browser history. Let me see your bank account. Now it's like I'm being intrusive. But this is what the rich young ruler did. He goes to Jesus looking for content. But as soon as Jesus switched it from content to a commandment, he's like, I'm out. I'm telling you, it's easy to run to Jesus. Lord, I want to have a heart that runs after you. It's a lot easier to kneel at the feet of Jesus. Lord, I want to yearn for you. But then when he says, sell your possessions, give it to the poor, you're like, I'm out. That hurts. That's not practical. And it reveals that it's not in God we trust. It's in money we trust. And that's why we are trying to facilitate something as a church where we can help us all grow together to say, Lord, I place my trust in you. And I know my tendency is to make an idol of money. And you say it's impossible to serve God and money. So I just want to get rid of any chance that I'm serving money. And so I will give up money to follow you so I don't give up following you to get more money. I don't want to get rich or die trying. I want to die to my flesh right now so I can follow you, Jesus. I don't want to leave away sad because I have many possessions. I want to say, Lord, I've cast it all to you. My good, my bad, my ugly, my wealth, my talent, my time, my treasure. I want to lay it at your feet, all of it. And so this is why we facilitate legacy offering. Yes, we want to make a difference in our community. Yes, we want to renovate our building. Yes, we want to support church planners and amazing missionaries in Cambodia. Yes, we want to hire John Boyd for a full-time youth pastor position. But honestly, I want to make sure your heart is devoted to the Lord. And I don't want this to feel like spiritual manipulation. And if you feel like we're trying to manipulate you into giving into Kalos, take everything we're preaching and teaching and give to another church. Take everything we're preaching and teaching and give to another congregation. Because this is about our heart being set before the Lord. Saying, Lord, I want to give you all of me. All my heart, my mind, and my soul. This is not a goal to spiritually manipulate you or financially coerce you. Because to be honest, Kalos Church is doing better than we've ever done financially. We're not desperate for finances, but we are desperate for you to have a heart before God that's committed and surrendered to him. Amen. Amen. And so I want to lead us in a time where we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And now I just want to challenge you with two things. Number one, and these are in priority. I want to challenge you to set up your tithes and offerings with automatic giving with our website. You can go to kalos.church/give. Uh, and just go to our website, kalos.church, and you can set that up online right there. 
And uh, if you haven't done this, if you're not regularly giving 10% of your income to the Lord, uh, start here. Don't even worry about the legacy offering until you get there. And if this is scary, I know this takes some courage and strength and you're thinking about rent and bills. I mean, just start somewhere. I mean, this isn't me trying to be letter of the law. Like, start with 1% and work up to 2% or go up to 5%. Just start somewhere. I'm telling you. It's just a commitment of saying, Lord, I'm trying my best to give you my heart. And then I want to challenge all of us with this legacy offering, with the white pieces of paper, uh, for all these initiatives we have to help women's shelters, to help international missionaries, to help us with our building, to help us with our family ministries. I want you to, in this next moment, to pray, Lord, what would you have me give? And on that piece of white paper, I want you to write a prayer for what you want for your heart or the church or the organizations we're supporting. And I want you to write a financial number for your pledge of what you feel like the Lord has given you. And like we've been saying for the last month, we didn't want to pressure you. We've been trying to warn you for a full month. We're not asking you to give. We're asking you to pray about what the Lord would have you give. And so we're going to have the band sing a song. We're going to create a space of financial worship with musical worship behind us. If you need to talk with someone next to you, if you need to spend some time listening to the Holy Spirit, uh, I just want to take a moment to just pray and listen to the Lord. Lord, what would you have me give? So let's bow our heads and grab those pieces of paper and get ready to write your prayer and your pledge on that paper. But dear Lord, we invite you into this moment and we just say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you help us be a people that say, Lord, God is not our money. God can never be our money. You are Lord. Jesus is Lord. With every part of my life, my time, my talent, my treasure, I declare I trust in you. You have the entirety of my heart. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? as we invite you to not just bless our hearts, our minds, but our hands, our feet, and our wallets. Like David in the temple, I want to bring you praise. Like David and his temple plans, your ways are not my ways. You don't need me to build a temple to know that you love me still. All I see is crashing waves Like Israel on the shore It's through the wild you make a way I will go where you go I will stay where you stay
want to say I'm so proud of you, Kalos Church, for taking time to listen to the Lord. We're such a generous congregation. And I know you might be scared. I know we're hitting some economic hard times, scary times. I, I look at my Bitcoin investments. I'm like, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. <laughs> but I'm choosing to place my trust in the Lord, and I know you are too. So I want to grab your... I want you to grab your white pieces of paper. I want to invite us all to stand up. And uh, whether you have written something or not, I want us to all take these pieces of paper and hold it up before the Lord as a praise offering to Him. And we're going to be doing this collection, receiving offerings this week and next week. And so I don't want to feel like if you're not ready to give today that there's two churches. I don't want to feel like anybody feels like less than. I want us to move forward as one church. Amen. And so I want you to grab these white pieces of paper and could you just lift them up? And I just want to pray a blessing because I know this represents courage. I know this represents placing your trust in this Lord. I know this represents like some financial hardships maybe we've been facing and some fears. I know that this can be scary, but you're, you're making a bold declaration. I'm choosing to trust in the Lord. And I want you to know we're not alone in this and we're doing it together. So let's just hold that up. And so Lord, we place our money before you. And I just pray a blessing over every offering, every tithe here. Lord, what this represents, the, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the fear, the courage, the time, the talent, the treasure, everything that it took to get to this moment. For those of us who have been on a long journey of faith, Lord, we right now say as for me and my house, we will trust in the Lord. Lord, you are my hope. Lord, you are my salvation, and the most practical thing I could ever do is place my future into your hands. And so we use this to worship you. Have your way. We worship you. Can we give Jesus a round of applause just as we worship you, Lord, and we thank you, and we give you all the glory, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And now I'm going to ask us to even make an altar right now. So we have some buckets up here, and we have a stage here, and I want us to just indicate symbolically that we're going forward in our trust with the Lord. And so as the band continues to play, whether you've written something on your paper or not, I want us to come forward and make an altar and just say, Lord, I'm placing you first. You are my God. And so as they begin to sing, can we give everybody to just make an altar and place your papers in the buckets as we make an altar and say, Lord, you are my God. Amen. And let's do this in band. Let's continue to sing as we worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings as we're part of your kingdom. You can come now.
Lord, thank you for the chance to serve you. Thank you for giving us instructions and having the hard conversations with us. Lord, I'm so thankful that we don't have to walk away sad because we had many possessions. But Lord, we choose to follow you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Can we give Jesus another round of applause? Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.